0: When I was a young boy, my dad lost his wallet and we turned the house upside down trying to find that thing. And you know what it feels like when, when you've lost some money or a credit card or maybe misplaced your purse or something and you just turn the world upside down trying to find it. We even retraced our steps and dad went back to a gas station where he had filled up uh, earlier that evening, but still to no avail, no one had turned it in, there there was nothing there. But the next day in the afternoon, there was a knock at the door and uh, my dad went and and opened the door and and there before him stood a, a young mom and her young child, a young boy beside her and she looked at dad and said, are you Sam Stone? And he said, yes, yes, I am. And he glanced down and he saw that she had his wallet and he he was elated. He said, oh, I can't believe you found it. Where in the world was it? She said, well, I didn't find it. She said, my husband found it. He cuts through on his way to work and he works the night shift and he cuts through a gas station and he saw it there on the ground. And dad said, well, I went back there to see if someone may have turned it in, if maybe I had dropped it there. She said, well, he didn't turn it in because he didn't really trust the workers there. And so this is the first opportunity that we've had to to bring it back, but we wanted you to to have it back. And dad was so excited. And he said, you know, would you all wait right here? He said, I wanna go get you some type of reward. And he started to leave the room and the woman stopped him and she said, no, no. She said, I I don't want any reward. She said, "I, I just want my young son to grow up and be honest. And I have a strange suspicion that he probably did. Because he saw something in both his mom and in his dad. And they were living out and passing it along to him. Today, we wrap up our Lead Like Jesus series on leadership. So, whether you are joining us at one of our campuses or whether you're worshiping with us online, thank you so much for being here. There's other things you could be doing, thank you for being a part. And we've learned this this past month that while the sphere and size of our leadership platform will be different for each of us, we're all leaders influencing others. It may be the department you run or the Bible study group that you teach. It might be the family tree that you influence, but you are a leader. You are a leader with incredible potential. Now, Satan will say, ah, this this message, I mean, this this certainly doesn't apply to you and your situation. I mean, you're not the president of the company. You're not the principal of the school. In fact, you only have three people at work who report to you. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and Satan is whispering to you, all you're leading is a five-year-old and a two-year-old. But don't listen to his lies. And if you are waffling or starting to believe his false premise, then allow me to lovingly but firmly tell you that you're looking at life and leadership from the wrong perspective. I like what Andy Stanley says. He says, your most significant leadership accomplishment may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Never underestimate the impact of your influence as a parent or as a grandparent. And the way you live can make an incredible impression on your family, your friends, your co-workers, and your neighbors. And this series has has looked at the main components of leadership. We've looked at the head and the heart and the hands and the habits of leadership. But the umbrella over all of that is your legacy. What's your legacy as a leader? And when you think of legacy, it goes even beyond your workplace or your church or, or your neighborhood. Make no mistake, you will leave a legacy. The only question is, what type of legacy will you leave? And I want to spend the, the next few minutes encouraging you to guide your leadership in a very clear direction. I want to challenge you to leave a Christ-honoring legacy that will outlast your earthly life. That's what this this final sermon of this series is about. It's about living a Christ-honoring legacy that will outlast your life. So whether you are in finances or facilities, whether you are in fashion or pharmaceuticals, when you think of a Christ-honoring legacy in your mind, I want you to picture a big, healthy tree. And throughout the Bible, trees are seen as places of, of refuge. They are likened to righteousness and faithfulness. Solomon said it well in Proverbs chapter eleven verse thirty. He said, "The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and a healthy tree represents the fruit or the yield that is produced when you remain rooted in the Lord." You might recall a couple of months ago uh, in the True North series, Ashley had a, a great sermon on Jesus' passage in John fifteen. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And what stood out to me in that message as I listened to it a couple of times was the way John 15, 5 put it. Jesus says it like this He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you remember that sermon, Ashley just hammered that last phrase home time and time again. He said, Jesus didn't say, uh, Apart from me, you can do some things. He didn't say, apart from me, you can can have limited impact. He said, no, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, nada, zilch, zero. It's the difference between a lifeless, withering bundle of branches versus a flourishing, fruit-filled, mature tree. And so if we are rooted in Christ, what components are are key to leaving that Christ-honoring legacy? And today, we are going to look at some, some branches that must be a part of this tree that you are trying to grow in all phases of your life. I'm gonna point out to you that that there are four main branches on the legacy tree. The first branch is that of intentionality. And this is critical for our our understanding. This This is foundational for us. You have to begin with the end in mind. So what is your goal? Well, we just talked about it. It's to leave a Christ honoring legacy that will outlast your earthly life. For those of you who are single, you might be thinking, well, this this doesn't apply to me because on the family tree, I'm a child of someone. I'm not the parent of someone. Or maybe you're currently unemployed or perhaps you are recently retired and you fall in one of those categories and you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not really into leadership. This doesn't really apply to me. But let me ask you a personal question. Who would say that you are a part of their legacy? In other words, are are you pouring into others? Are you coaching a team? Are you leading a student group? Are you mentoring a younger employee at work? Are you supporting and encouraging nieces and nephews? Christ wants your legacy to stretch beyond family lines. He wants it to branch out so much farther. And Jesus was always reminding people of his mission and keeping that in front of them, his, his fear of influence. They, they all knew exactly what was important to him. We talked about this earlier in the series in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus mentions and says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. He taught the masses and sometimes thousands at a time, and yet he was so intentional whether he was with many or whether he was with a handful of people. He had a mission, and that steered his choices with crystal clarity. And in your company or your family, you've got to be diligent. That's why I I love to encourage families to come up with your own family mission statement, to to come together as a family and say, okay, what is our, our mission as a family in life? And let that guide you and direct you. That lets you know what a win is for your family so that you can celebrate that. Years ago, I was in the habit of picking a lot of people's brains when it came to this topic of leadership. I was about to undergo a a role change at where I worked. And so I was asking a lot of different people questions. At one point, I, I sought out two different leaders of two Fortune 500 companies and I asked each of them the exact same question. And when I asked them that question, apart from each other, I was mesmerized that both of them gave me the exact same answer. The question was this, what is the greatest leadership advice that you could give to me? And strangely, apart from each other, in separate settings, at different times, both gentlemen said this, keep repeating the mission. Keep repeating the mission. When you think people are sick and tired of it, when you think they've got it, when you think that everybody knows it, say it again. Keep repeating the mission. So with that in mind, let me remind you, CCV, of what our mission is. Mark Moore talked about it, let me remind you again so that it finds a home in your heart, so that you can leave a Christ-honoring legacy that outlives you. Here at CCV, our mission is to win people to Christ, Train believers to become disciples and to send disciples to impact the world. We say the phrase, win, train, and send. That's what constitutes a win for us. And if that happens through your loving and leaning in with others, then we will celebrate because that is a win for the kingdom. The branch of intentionality ensures that you will keep repeating the vision so that you can keep advancing the vision. And that clarity keeps a church, a company, an organization, even a family aligned and reduces the chance of mission drift. What I'm saying is you can't accidentally back your way into a Christ honoring legacy. It won't happen by accident. You've gotta be intentional and if we are, we can grow this flourishing legacy tree through our leadership. But we'll need to develop another branch as well. And that branch is the branch of humility. And Jesus was certainly driving this home on a regular basis with his closest followers. This would be another distinctive of his leadership legacy. That the way to the top is to serve others at the bottom jesus says in in matthew chapter 23 verse 12 for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted perhaps you've been watching the world series it's a it's a pretty exciting one it's tied two games to two and watching it has reminded me of of reggie jackson the hall of famer that used to play he played a long time with the oakland athletics but for a short stint he played for the baltimore orioles And when he played for the Baltimore Orioles at at that time, Earl Weaver was the manager. And Earl Weaver had one rule for his players that no one could steal a base without first being given the sign from him in the dugout. Of course, as you can imagine, this was an affront to a temperamental ego like Reggie Jackson. And one time, Reggie Jackson was on first base and he took his lead off and, and he took off for second base and he slid in and he barely beat the tag he hadn't gotten the tag or hadn't gotten the signal from Earl Weaver he just chose to do it on his own and as he stood up he brushed the dirt off of his jersey and he smiled and he glared in the dugout and stared right at Earl Weaver after the game was over Earl Weaver said Reggie I want to talk with you and let you know why I didn't give you the steal sign he said at the plate at that time was Lee May he is our second strongest power hitter next to you He had had great success against that pitcher, but when you stole second base, that left first base open, and so they intentionally walked Lee May, negating the power of his monstrous bat. He said, the next batter up had not had much success against that pitcher, and so being late in the game, I decided to pinch hit for him to increase our odds of scoring you. The only problem was, he said, when I put that pinch hitter in, that left us with insufficient bench strength should the game go into extra innings, which it did. And I think that's why we lost the game. Do you see the difference? Reggie Jackson wanted to steal a base. Earl Weaver wanted to win a ball game. And sometimes leaders can become so focused on advancing their own personal agenda that they lose sight of the big picture. And they lose sight of what is a win. And over time, your humility coupled with a willingness to sacrifice your own desires will advance the mission of the team if you check your ego at the door. I think that's why I look up to Ashley Woodridge so much as a leader and an example of leadership for me. With the explosive growth of CCV, it would be really easy, almost expected, that he would bask in the numbers, that he would strut when he walks. But Ashley doesn't. He is genuinely unimpressed with himself. And he is greatly impressed with the faithfulness and the greatness of God. The best leaders of organizations are not know-it-alls who seek attention and applause. They are learners who realize the value of others and through their humility, they welcome critique and a willingness to learn from others. And rather than having a sense of entitlement, they don't lord their position over others. On the contrary, they serve alongside others and they are more concerned with the team because when the organization or the team wins, everybody wins. You wanna leave a healthy legacy? then model for your organization, for your sales team, for your church. Model for the branches on your family tree what it looks like to honor others above yourself, to seek to make the name of Jesus famous more than making your own name famous. There's a third branch that needs to thrive on your legacy tree, and that is the branch of integrity. And leaders, this very well may be the most important branch on the tree for each of us. Because without integrity, without integrity, coworkers, teammates, family members will not trust your leadership. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Several years ago, Reader's Digest had the story of a businessman in Southfield, Michigan who who drove his administrative assistant home after, after work because she had had a little bit too much to drink at an office afternoon reception. And although this was an innocent gesture, rather than risking being misunderstood, he decided not to tell his wife about what he had done. So he took the administrative assistant home and then he immediately drove home to pick up his wife who jumped in the car because they were going to dinner reservations that they had. Didn't think there was any problem, but about halfway to the restaurant, the man glanced down, and right underneath the passenger seat, he saw a half-exposed high-heeled shoe. And he thought, oh, no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so we waited patiently for his wife to glance out the side window and the second she glanced out that side window He reached down and in one fell swoop. He grabbed that that high heel shoe He threw it out his window and he kept driving toward the restaurant (laughs) a couple minutes later They pulled into the parking lot of the restaurant and he looked over and noticed that his wife was squirming She said honey Have you seen my other shoe? The truth will always come out in the end. So tell the truth at the beginning and it will make your life a whole lot less complicated. Be faithful in the small things. Jesus said it well in Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. He said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. If you always tell the truth and speak from a pure heart, you will never have to worry about what you've said previously. You know, you are more likely to pursue integrity if you have surrounded yourself with people who share that same pursuit for integrity. And their encouragement and their accountability will help this branch grow in your life. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. You know what the word integrity literally means? The word integrity, it means singleness of mind. It means wholeness. And so Solomon says, duplicity, which is the opposite of integrity, will destroy your life. Lieutenant John Blanchard served our country well in World War II, a woman had written in at that time and volunteered to be a pen pal with an American soldier, and somehow, randomly, she got matched up with Lieutenant John Blanchard. And so for two years, he corresponded with this woman by the name of Hollis Maynall. And after the war was over, Blanchard said, those letters got me through some of the darkest and some of the loneliest times of my entire life. The impact that she had on me, it's, it's tough to begin to measure. And Blanchard even says this, he said that through the course of those years, we found that we were falling in love with one another just through those letters, even though we had never met. After the war was over, Blanchard wrote her another letter and said, why don't you send me a picture of yourself so that I know what you look like? And she wrote back and said, if what we really have is something that is truly special, then it shouldn't matter to you what I look like. They continued to correspond and they continued to write one another. And then they decided that they would get together, they would both travel to New York, they would go to Central Station and they would meet up. The plan was this, that John Blanchard would identify himself by carrying the bundle of letters that she had written to him. And Hollis Manel would have a red rose on her coat showing that it was her. They were both anxious and nervous He got off of the train and and he was walking toward the platform and he saw a young, attractive, blonde haired woman in a green dress coming in his direction. He immediately began to smile. He knew that this must be her and as she came toward him, she was looking straight at him and when their eyes met, he just somehow kind of got lost in the moment. He was so lost in that moment and feeling that connection that he didn't even look to see if she was wearing the red rose because he was so convinced. But as she came closer, he realized that she wasn't wearing a red rose. And as she started to walk past him, she glanced over her shoulder and said, hey soldier, going my way? And John Blanchard said, everything within me wanted to go her way. I wanted to follow her. I wanted to forget all about the red rose and the letters and just go with her. But then I remembered how much those letters had sustained me and the love that I felt for Hollis Mainel. So he said, mechanically and woodenly, I just kept heading toward the platform. He said, then I saw her. She had the red rose on. It wasn't what I was expecting. She was probably 15 years older than I was. Not very attractive. And in that moment, I realized that maybe this wouldn't lead to marriage, but at least it would it would continue our our deep friendship and relationship that we had had. So I went up to her and I said, "You must be Miss Maynell. I am Lieutenant John Blanchard. May I carry your bags?" And the woman quickly responded and said, "Young man, I, I don't have any idea what this is about. But that woman in the green dress said that if you spoke to me, she would meet you across the street in the restaurant." She said that it was some kind of a test. John Blanchard passed the integrity test. Would you have passed the integrity test? Don't answer that question, all right? He denied his desires. He took the higher road. He decided to do what was right. He kept his character intact and he was rewarded for it. It is tough to underscore how important integrity is in life. Integrity is who you are in the dark. Integrity is who you are when no one is watching. And without this branch, your legacy tree will wither or it will rot from the inside out. Let's look at one more branch. And that's the branch of consistency. The branch of consistency. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, we, we can't live a perfect life like Jesus. He is God's son. He is unchanging. He was totally consistent. But whether you are a baby Christian or a mature Christian, there will be times when your behavior betrays your beliefs. But when I speak of consistency, I'm basically saying, overall, how would you be categorized and characterized by others? Are you consistent in the good times and in the bad times as well? Because it's in those up and down moments that reveals whether or not your heart is set on building a Christ-honoring legacy that outlives you. You learn about how an individual is growing this branch of consistency based on how they handle suffering or how they handle success or both. In his new book entitled Forward, Dr. David Jeremiah tells of a trip that he and his wife took to Switzerland. They visited a beautiful village and, and right at the base of the mountain called Matterhorn. In the north ridge of, of Matterhorn, it goes basically straight up. And yet there are some people who, who have, have climbed up this and have somehow conquered it. And when you look at it, you would say there's no way There's absolutely no way that anybody could ever make it to the top, but many do. But at the base of the mountain, there is a cemetery. It's called Mountaineer's Cemetery, and most of the people buried there were casualties of the Matterhorn. But get this, many who are buried there in that cemetery died while descending the mountain after having reached the top. David Jeremiah writes, what a lesson. We are the most vulnerable to failure after we achieve our greatest success. You see, how you handle the highs and lows of leadership will reveal how you are growing in this branch of consistency. Decide that you're going to trust God in the good times and in the bad times, that you will be faithful, that you will strive for consistency over duplicity, whether you are holding a remote control in your hand or whether you are holding com- communion emblems in your hand. Strive for consistency. Back in August, George W. Bush spoke at the Global Leadership Summit and he referred to the topic that we are covering today, and this is what he said. Words don't write a legacy, actions do. Actions will always speak louder than our words. So here's my question and challenge to every one of you. Here's the question. As a legacy starter or legacy builder, which branch needs the most attention in your life? Is it intentionality, is it humility, is it integrity, is it consistency? And here's the second part. Here's, here's the challenge. Which of these four branches do you need to pour into? In other words, choose one of these, and the challenge is pour into it. Find someone who excels, someone that you look up to in one of these areas, and pick their brain. Take them to lunch and say, can I just ask you some questions? I'm really trying to grow this branch on my legacy tree. You see, there is more to life than can be squeezed between two dates on a tombstone. There is eternity. Think of it like this. The length of your life is up to God. The legacy of your life is up to you. Let me close out this entire series by just telling you about my dad. Uh, Dad just turned 84. He was married to mom for 56 years until she went to heaven a few years ago. They had two sons, my brother Jeff and and me. Our dad through the years was a pastor, uh, the dean of a seminary, the editor of a Christian magazine. And my brother and I were both drawn into ministry and toward ministry because of what we saw at home. We saw the same man in the pulpit that we saw at home. And it was that consistency that compelled us to want to preach. A couple of years ago, dad was diagnosed to be in the early stages of dementia. And many of you know the pain of watching your parents age. But the retirement community that he is a part of, the Christian village at, at Mason in Mason, Ohio, wanted to honor my parents, and so they've been raising money to build a worship center and they're naming the worship center after my parents. They're calling it the Stone Worship Center. And the groundbreaking service was just about seven weeks ago, and as you can imagine, it was, a, it was a pretty big day for Dad, and it was a very tiring day for him. And his, his dementia continues to progress, and he's been losing uh, some weight, and yet he was still able to be there. He even spoke for a minute. And in typical Stone fashion, Sam Stone fashion, He used that one minute in the celebration to talk about our mom and and what a a special lady she was and to place the spotlight on her. And the only way he agreed to having his name on the building was if her name was on it too, since as he put it, she was the main reason for their positive legacy. Let me just uh, show you the video of when he was to turn the first shovel of dirt because those pictures don't really do it justice. And, and what an honor it was for me to get to be right there. And we had to kind of uh, talk Dad through the process. But uh, I'll, just, I'll just let you watch it yourself. you watch that video, and I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking. You watch my dad laboring to lift a, a shovel filled with dirt, and I know what goes through your mind. You're thinking, oh, that elderly man, he is so weak. But you would be mistaken, because when I see my dad, I see him as oh so strong because to those who know Sam Stone, he is like a tree that is planted by the water. He meditates on the word day and night and while he may appear pretty shaky to you, beside him are two branches, two sons who want to be just like him in their faith and in their leadership and not visible in that video are our spouses and his six grandchildren who look up to him, and his six great-grandchildren who love him and adore him. And in about four weeks, the Lord willing, there will be a new great-grandchild, and he will be aptly named Sam Stone. What are the odds? Well, actually, the odds are pretty good if you live this life with intentionality, humility, integrity, and consistency. Now I hesitate to share that story with you because I acknowledge that very few people have been blessed to have have parents in a, a spiritual heritage like I've had how fortunate our family has been, but it had to start somewhere, and you you can change the direction of your family tree if you're a first generation Christian or maybe you can be that legacy starter that changes the course of things. Dad's story can become your story if you use what God's given to you as a teacher, as a first responder, in the business world, as a parent. If you remain attached to Jesus, you can grow a legacy tree that flourishes with a legacy that will outlast your life. Make no mistake, you will leave a legacy. The you other know, the only question is the only question is what will your legacy be the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life the best time to plant a tree was 25 years ago the second best time is today let's pray Father in heaven these past five weeks we've learned a lot about leadership and you have given each of us influence and opportunity may we live this life not for our names to be etched on buildings but so that the name of Jesus will become more and more famous and may the legacy that we leave honor Jesus Christ